minds that are to our minds as ours are to the beasts in the jungle. Intellects, vast, cool, and unsympathetic, regarded this earth with envious eyes and slowly and surely drew their plans against us. Welcome to Chaos Radio, the international edition. This is um, edition number seven. My name is Tim Pritlove, and uh, this time we'll bring you an interview, an interview with Bicycle Mark, who is running a blog and a podcast on bicyclemark.org. So without any further ado, I switch over to the interview, which we did this weekend. We are now in uh, Amsterdam. In the what's the name of this place, Mark? This cafe is called De Bali. De Bali. The location is Leidseplein. And as you can hear, I'm I'm not alone. I'm here with Mark, with Bicycle Mark, mm. who runs a podcast under uh, BicycleMark.org, which is called Audio Communique. Mm -hmm. And I have been following your. So first. Hello. Hello. Hello, Hello Internet. <laughs> Hello, Internet. And, well, I've been following your podcast for quite some time, and I find it really interesting. It's um, a podcast done around, well, twice a week, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you put quite some energy into researching topics, and they mainly revolve about political issues, mm -hmm. uh, foreign affairs, um, basically taking a look at, at, the, at the world in, in general. So it's a bit connecting the dots game as well from my point of view. Oh. So maybe uh, what I but I would like to start talking a bit um, about you first. You are an American, mm -hmm. but you live in in Amsterdam here for quite some time, four years now, right? Yes, that's right. And um, but you also have some roots in in the European culture. Can you explain this a bit? Sure, sure. Um, well, uh, I am American. You you pointed that out, but uh, so I was born. What makes me American is that I was born in uh, Newark, New Jersey, and that I was raised in the United States. That part makes me American. But everything else about me is actually, uh, besides international, <laughs> is actually Portuguese. My parents immigrated to the United States uh, before I was born, a few years before I was born. Actually, they met in the United States. Um, because the area that I grew up in, in Newark, it's called the Iron Bound. It's bound by iron, you know, and the railroad. Mm -hmm. And it makes this sort of square of uh, a few kilometers that is pure, almost, not purely, it's a terrible term, uh, but it is extremely Portuguese, uh, the area. Actually, nowadays it's changed. Since I've grown up, it's now Brazilian. But that's a very connected transition there mm -hmm. because the Brazilians came because the Portuguese were already there and the language was the same and there were a lot of connections with family or just friends. Anyway, so I grew up in, uh, in a Portuguese family, in a Portuguese house, in a Portuguese neighborhood, uh, and more beyond that, my, it happens that my parents were Portuguese teachers. They still are. Uh, and so, whereas some children of immigrants, including my friends, stopped 
speaking Portuguese, stopped going to Portugal. My parents insisted. Even when there wasn't money to do other things, they would just send me. They would find the money to just send me. And I don't know if you've ever flown when you were like under the age of, I think the legal age to fly alone is 12 or something. But if you go alone and you're under 12, or you are 12, you get this little, in the Portuguese airline, you get this little tag around your neck with an envelope, the plastic envelope with all your documents. And it says, um, which is one. Just one. You're one person. One. Okay. And There's in there is your passport. Nobody accompanying and your ticket. you. Right. Yeah. And the, the stewardesses will take care of you, or the steward. And so I was always taken care of by these very pretty ladies, or at that age I thought they were pretty. <laughs> now I look at stewardesses and I go, eh, ah, nah. <laughs> and so I used to go to Portugal almost every summer. And, and uh, well, that, that kept a very strong connection to Portugal. Uh, and to me. Europe in general. And to Europe in general. And as I grew up, Uh, I started asking more questions and making a little bit more demands about going to other places in Europe because, uh, again, there wasn't money and, and there wasn't much of a tradition of going outside of Portugal. But then as I got older, I said, hey, let's go to this Spain that's right next door. Mm -hmm. And there it evolved to mm -hmm. other countries. Um, well, I, I think uh, the usual European impression of, of America is that they are not really that connected to news from Europe, news from the rest of the world. Usually everything revolves around the USA and probably one or two countries they're currently at war with. <laughs> um, so yeah. the same impression you had, or what? It is. You know, we used to. I used to be a waiter in a, in a town outside of Newark in New Jersey, and it was at a Portuguese restaurant. I got the job thanks to some friends, and I think my family. And I was working as a waiter, and all the people who worked as staff were Brazilian, Portuguese, some were uh, from Peru and, and other South American countries. And we would have fantastic conversations because the work wasn't, wasn't too crazy, and there was time where we could chat. And one of the conversations we would have was really, what about the United States? There was a lot of internal, like, what do you think of this place? Because many had been there for five or for 10 years. And I used to say, well, you know, They don't care about anything that happens outside of the country. They think it's the number one place in the world. And a Brazilian friend would always stop me and say, you're right, but you have to remember that this is a big country syndrome. And uh, he said, in Brazil, when you're in Brazil, anywhere in Brazil, everybody thinks Brazil is the world. And you'll never hear anything about the outside world. And he goes, I bet if you asked a Chinese person, he would say the same thing. He would look at the world as, the world is China. And because it's such a big country, because everything is so isolating in a way, Uh, which is much different from a smaller country like the Netherlands, like Portugal as well. You know, Portugal, if you turn on the news, there's things about all kinds of countries. And one of the reasons, it's not the only reason, uh, but one of the reasons is because it's so small. Uh, and so sometimes it helps to be a small country if you want to understand the world better. Yeah, but the difference between the USA and other big countries is that it's basically made out of all the other nations. I mean, it's, it's an immigrant country. It was grown from Europeans, people coming from all over the place, especially in the last years, also from Mexico, where Spanish is by far the second strongest language. I don't know how many people are Spanish only in the US, but I think it's more than 30%, isn't it? It's it's getting there. It's well, getting depending there. Yeah. Uh, on the area, of course, right. but in the south, it's very strong. Hmm. But what is there a discussion now on the Spanish version of the U.S. Uh, hymn of the on the national? Well, anthem? The, I mean, it's a non-issue. You know, this is typical. Uh, what you're talking about is about a few days ago. I saw it on. Uh, I was posted on um, Newsvine, and. I like this news line, by the way. It's interesting. Right. Um, and I saw the article, which was, George Bush refuses to accept the idea of a Spanish version of the national anthem. And this is hilarious, because this is like creating an issue that isn't an issue. 
taking a strong stand on something that you don't have to take a stand on. And it reminds me of the issue of gay marriage. It reminds me, it's like a, an easy punch in the face to a certain, a certain idea and to a certain group of people who support it, where the majority of, of angry people will suddenly have a trigger uh, and, and a response. And the response was, hey, you can't sing the national anthem in Spanish. It's supposed to be in English. Which, uh, in the Newsvine comments, even though they're by far very right-wing, I saw some people writing saying, well, actually, the United States has no official language. So, what's wrong with that? But then you get all these people saying the United States should have an official language. Um, but uh, on the subject of the United States being a place where everybody is a child of immigrants, one thing I notice, and, and this is my own theory or observation, is that people have a terrible memory of history, collectively. The media doesn't help, certain media doesn't help, but in general people forget very quickly the past. Which is why you ha probably have people now condemning the immigrants who are standing up and saying, we want to be citizens, we've been here long enough. You have people condemning this who probably are only one or two generations American, and yet they act like they've been there forever. And this is part of the reason this happens is they have a terrible memory of the past or where they're from. and. In a way, I have a superiority complex, which I have to get over. And some people have pointed it out in my comments, that I somehow, when I criticize the United States, I think I'm better. And I think that person is probably right for saying it. I do have a superiority complex, because I have the advantage, or the, the yeah, the advantage that my parents kept me a little bit of both. And so, I get to see it from the outside, and I start to think that somehow I know more. Yeah, uh, I think it's a European complex as well. So yeah. it's sort of... It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, maybe you can look at this uh, that way. But Americans could also be quite happy that at least there's somebody who's cultural-wise very close, but at least has a different opinion on, on certain things. Mm. Um, so what is your relationship to, to journalism then? I mean, how did you yeah. get to think so much about politics and making a podcast out of it. Hmm. My relationship to journalism is one... I have to comment on everything about that I've done <laughs> critically. I'm, I want to be more critical about what I've done in my life, and it's not that much. I'm not that old. My relationship to journalism is actually not a very long or, or impressive one. And, uh, and I'm just being honest. I'm not being too, uh, too picky. I studied in university uh, journalism and international politics. did both. And during that time... Of course, I wrote for my university newspaper, and I soaked in, even at that time with the newspapers that were online, I would read tons, and I was determined to read uh, the news in French, so I would read French newspapers, and I was convinced by reading French newspapers I knew more about the world than I would reading English newspapers. Um, and so from there I got a, a, a research position, it was a, like an internship that, that was an internship on steroids is what it was, at the Village Voice in New York, and that was really incredible. Uh, I was quite literally chasing the mafia, um, you know, life-threatening, maybe not, but occasionally threatening, not life, but threatening situations and eye-opening interviews and you were at the center of the storm in New York. And it really did have this television show type feeling to it where things would happen suddenly and everybody would be talking about them and you'd be sent out to go see what you could find out. It was very exciting. So, I mean, that was my real-world journalism experience. And it was very brief. That was six months, actually, mm -hmm. of my life. Less. And then I moved to Portugal uh, soon after. I, did tr I tried to do a little freelance work uh, in the fall of 2001. And that was when September 11th happened. 
I was actually working immediately, like a few days after, on an article about uh, the disappearances of immigrants that were suddenly arrested. I was contacting prisons all the time, but the doors were all closing. At that time, every every excuse, and it still is, was, I'm sorry, we can't tell you that and we don't have to tell you that because this is a matter of national security and this is a crisis and of course the crisis goes on and it's still a good excuse and what it started yeah, the to tell war on me terror is without end. it's a great excuse not to do things yes, or absolutely. to do certain things so I, I moved to Portugal and my idea was that I would write uh, for, for papers and, and I, I still hope that one day I could be useful for, for some news outlets be it radio or not um, useful in that I could correspond, be a correspondent. But the truth is I never did major corresponding. Uh, I've written occasional articles here in Amsterdam about different issues, but very rarely. Um, so my relationship with journalism took this other more personal media form when I started doing the weblog in about 2001, 2002. And from there I called myself a journalist and I was very interested in, in blogs as journalism, which thankfully now they are kind of respected as a certain level. Right. And then, of course, I brought that to podcasting because I thought it, it would be great in podcasting. And, I mean, it is, you know, this whole pod journalism business that, that we'll probably get into, is a kind of laziness, <laughs> a lazy person's journalism, because all the information is in front of you on the internet. You don't actually have to leave the country. You, I've reported about Costa Rica, and I've never been there. Now, some people would say, well, you're not qualified. Well, that's a pretty good point. <laughs> that's why I bring somebody who might be or I do as much research as I can. Yeah. I mean, everybody's talking about that all the information is on the internet, but there's just nobody who's collecting it. And yeah, they've been information farmer. Connecting harvester. the dots right and putting it everything together. And, well, yeah, that's... <coughs> you already said it. You, you call yourself a, a pod journalist, which is, I, I think, it's a funny, uh, it's a funny term. It it's like aliens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's one of these pod journalists again. <laughs> um... So, what it means is using a podcast for journalistic work. And yep. um, so, what what do you think is the advantage, or the what 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 does it set apart pod podcasting from the way on do uh, from the way uh, doing the research just with a blog? Oh, okay, so separating podcasting from just blog. Yeah, I mean, it's a new media, you mm -hmm. sort of edit it, so there must be some kind of incentive right. to do this instead of just blogging. Mm. Well, there are a couple of different ones. Let's, let's start with a very basic one, which was great uh, one year ago, which is there weren't so many people doing it. Unfortunately, the disadvantage, if, you w if you're at home right now or wherever you are, and you're thinking about starting a blog, uh, I think we're all very much for that idea. Go ahead, start a blog. Unfortunately, though, you're one in what? Six million? No, there's more than six million. Oh blogs. no, it's far more. It's like yeah. already approaching forty million. Like forty million. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't even know that. Technorati says. And what this creates is a situation where you're not going to be heard by many. Now, then, most people don't care about that, so that's fine. The cool thing about doing journalism in podcasting, especially like I said a year ago, was that there weren't so many people out there. So when people went looking for uh, someone doing this type of podcasting, whatever kind it is, be it journalism, be it not, you could be found. Uh, and you would be found. Uh, and in fact, I've never had so much growth in terms of audience as I did in that first year. And ever since then, it's, it's ups and downs. Um, so that was one very practical uh, advantage. Now, the, the more in-practice of journalism advantage is the voice. Um, I don't fancy myself a fantastic speaker, but I do have a very good uh, na knack for improvisation. And, you know, I never write down what I'm going to say. 
And I, people have written to me and said, by the way, Marka, what's interesting is it's obvious when I listen to you, you didn't plan what you were going to say, but it still comes out organized. And I think to myself, yeah, I, I do notice that I'm able to do that. I don't plan ever what I'm going to say. I make speeches at, at my current job at university all the time. I never write speeches. And um, not to get too you know, happy about and pat myself on the back, but uh, this is something that is an advantage in podcasting. A person's ability to speak can be much more engaging, just like somebody's fantastic ability to write could be engaging, but the voice is even sometimes even better. And, uh, and the great thing is that there's so much audio out there, even if I don't do an interview, just to be able to play some simple example, you know, Malcolm X. I love Malcolm X speeches. I can't get enough, actually. I can't find enough. Um, and it's a great thing to be able to use that in a podcast, because maybe someone who didn't hear Malcolm X or never listened, never wanted to listen, now hears it and thinks, oh, this grabs me in a different way. So audio, of course, has a different relationship with a person. And that's one of the advantages in podcasting, that you can either your own voice or somebody else's voice that you make use of. Uh, it could really connect with people in a better way. Yeah, right. I totally agree on this. Um, also, I think that um, you have a much better opportunity in getting the pieces together and describing it with your voice. Mm. But, but yeah. one place we didn't agree on, Tim, I think, when we had this conversation the other day, was I said that video... I don't remember actually what you said, but uh, that video also has an advantage because you connect, someone looks at you and you look back and sometimes you feel this very strong bond that you wouldn't feel in writing or in listening or d just different. Yeah, but my personal impression was that as it's distracting me from actually mm. listening. So mm. I'm mu much more in the, in the viewing business and not so much following the voice the, the mm. way I would do if I really concentrate on just on the audio. Yeah. I don't know. It I might be different yeah, yeah. For, for other people, but I think that... It's also an advantage that you don't have to watch something. Oh, I mean, sure, if there's just somebody sure. who's talking, and uh, the only thing I see is his, <laughs> is his face. Right. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. For some people, it might be even helpful because they are very good in gestures and, 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 and showing their expressions, but mm -hmm. other might just look dumb and they <laughs> say, like, what's, what's this imbecile? Yeah. imbecile yeah, yeah. What are you talking about? Mm. So, well, that might, might depend. But we should go to uh, the topic of video blogging uh, as well. But I'd like just to concentrate a bit more on, on your podcast, the audio uh, communique. So you, mm. you have a variety uh, of topics. Mm. And so what, what is the process? How do you determine your, your topics? How do you select? Um, the process of finding a topic... Basically, thankfully, I was always reading news. I have a, you know, a tremendous, like many of us who, who use the internet regularly, we have tremendous media appetites, be it through blogging or newspaper reading. Uh, and, and through reading all these different sources, you come to have your own opinions about things and your own questions. Um, one thing leads, you know, one answer leads to another question and so on. So when I read a weblog, or especially when I read still newspapers, I, I have my own questions and my own theories, in fact. And so, if I see a certain issue pop up, I will think, oh, you know what, I have, I have a different way of looking at this, or I have some sources that I would like to use that I don't think are, are being talked about in the mainstream. And so, if I think that it hasn't been discussed, or if I think that I have something new to add, or even not that new, just mine, I, I choose that as a topic. Um, 
So, which is why sometimes if something is very big in the news going on, like even the topic of immigration, I didn't do too much on it, which is kind of a shame. I have my mother or my father. Um, but one of the reasons I haven't yet, and I probably will, is because it was so big in the mainstream. I just thought, let it go for now and let me concentrate on things that are getting drowned out. Yeah. So I try to look at what's being drowned out. And if it is being drowned out, I'll try and, and tackle it. Uh, that's one main way. I also have a running list, um, sort of a little, little sticky notes on my widgets, uh, with show topics, in case I can't think of one, one that I thought of a week ago. Sometimes those are based on, this, like I said, the questions that I have. Sometimes it's based on people I know. Uh, so I'll write somebody's name. I'll give you a simple example. There's a great uh, video blogger in, in the Netherlands. Uh, he doesn't do it often, but he does. Michael Schaap, he does uh, Mac Doc Man. He's very good. He works for public television. And he made like mm, six, seven video blogs. And I see him. We meet here at the Bali uh, for the video blogger meetup. And I've been meaning to do an interview with him to talk about the future of video blogging and what's because he sees a lot of problems about people not getting it and this big gap, you know, between the users, the adapters, the early adapters, and the non-adapters. And I want to do an interview with him. And it's on my list of things to do, but it's been there forever. And one of the reasons I wanted to do this was because I thought he was interesting. And so from there, I developed a topic around the person. Anyway, these are all the different ways. Uh But sometimes you also choose bloggers that oh I, for sure. I remember for the, I think you did it for the Costa Rica uh, yep. report that you're actually searching for bloggers who are into the topic. Yeah, this is the main way that I do. Uh, Technorati is one of the first places I go. If there's a topic that I think, even though I know some things, I would much rather hear from somebody else. I will go to Technorati and I will search either by subject or by blog, which is fantastic to be able to do. And I'll go one by one down the list and I'll look at, I'll try to look at, well, first of all, does it meet the criteria? Because sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it says it's about Costa Rica, but it's about vacations. Um, and I'll try and see if it's someone that looks like they're, they'd be willing to talk and they have something interesting to say. If it's someone that's just seems really angry, really not very coherent, not much of an argument, I won't bring them. Uh, and one thing I've, I'm concerned about is, do I bring people who always agree with me? Because that's something I don't want to do. And I think it happens. That either it's people that agree with me, or at least people that I have no conflict with. I would like to bring some people that I disagree with strongly onto the program. It just hasn't happened. Um, probably the people who don't agree with me might not even answer, but... Or they're not blogging. Or they're not blogging, no, for sure they're <laughs> blogging. So, but I do try to use bloggers first because, especially bloggers that aren't so famous, you know, and then we do have these A-list bloggers, I, I much prefer to use bloggers who haven't been consulted enough or who, who are just doing their little blog consistently while they do some other job. I want them to talk because I think, first of all, they'll be eager to talk because they're not asked enough. And second of all, they have great first-hand information. Is Technorati your only way of finding these blogs? Um, I don't want to say it's my only way. It's my main way. Uh, is there any other way that I use? via other bloggers. Yeah, I think it's a great oh. res it's a great resource. I also like um and it's not it's not really a search engine of any kind but Global Voices the project. Um I use Global Voices a lot. I know a lot of those bloggers and the great thing is through my podcast I'm meeting more and more of them. Uh Can you can you explain Global Voices a bit because I think it's a very uh, interesting project in that context. Global Voices, I mean, <laughs> it's so big. I, I wouldn't be surprised if people have looked at it and said I don't know what's going on here because the if you go to the website it's just It's a lot of text. <laughs> right. And basically, as far as I can tell, and I'm, I'm by no means an expert on what it is about, although I am subscribed to it, is uh, a collective of people who already had their own blogs, but they're all, um, what do you call that, put together on the same site. 
um, sort of like a clearinghouse for international issues. And they do very well about having representatives from every continent and pretty much every country. And so when you get to the, to the header of the site, you'll see the list, a big cloud of country names. And you can just choose the country name. Uh, and I still get excited when I do a podcast on something very international. I'll be listed there. Bicycle did this. And I'll just think, oh, cool, I'm on Global Voices today. You know. How uh, do they select what's on their web blog? I'm wondering if, well, first of all, the, the who's there is, the, uh, I think they're volunteers. And then as far as what do they select, I think they're doing a sort of, uh, some kind of search function or... Because it goes in reverse chronological order. So if I podcast about something today, it'll probably be there tomorrow. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if it's someone human like doing it, or is it a, a sort of a computer choosing thing? Yeah, it's it's interesting interface. I haven't played so much, but you can go for a certain country, or you can go for a certain topic. Yeah, somebody's and find um yeah blogs or just uh, certain articles okay that's uh by the way that is globalvoicesonline.org right mm -hmm. okay <coughs> so how do you maintain your your uh posting frequency i mean you do it twice a week and i guess it's taking up a lot of time how do you yeah deal with that well one way i deal with it is by keeping my job uh, my my real world job to part time <laughs> so Uh, I don't make a lot of money, uh, <laughs> and I don't work that much. And there's a lot of excuses for that, but one of the reasons that I keep it that way for now is because it leaves me time to do the the podcast and now the video blog and and the blog as well. Um, it, it's kind of a crazy theory, you know. It's almost like I'm not starving myself for my podcast, but I am. I think I'm limiting my real offline life uh, in in because I believe so much in my online life. So one of the reasons I'm able to research all this and post consistently is that I'll put everything on hold and my job doesn't get in the way. I think a lot of people have jobs that get in the way. And I've even been offered jobs that I see would have gotten in the way. Nothing great, but... And I'll, I'll turn them down because I'll just think, yeah, that would be some money, but it would also be... My time would be sucked away and I need that. Uh, so one way is making it a priority. Um, I always think, oh, Tuesday, Thursday night, If I'm not doing a podcast, I should at least be heavily researching and preparing the next one. Um, whereas Wednesday is reserved for throwing a frisbee. Uh, and Friday and Saturday probably riding in a boat. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Depends. <laughs> so you're also using quite a lot of music in your podcast for the introductory um, part and yeah. usually in between as well. Uh, and I noticed that they are not all <laughs> creative comments, freely licensed oh. stuff. It's like... Well, well-known stuff mixed with lesser well-known stuff. Yeah. So, what's your opinion about yeah, this, is this one of copyright issue in podcasts? Right. Th I mean, this is one of those issues that one day I could wind up eating my own words, uh, you know, or, or getting in trouble or whatever that is. But basically my philosophy is, <laughs> and this is a, a philosophy that wouldn't function if everybody did it, but it's my own, is that I don't agree with the laws. Matter of fact, I don't even know the laws, actually, in this country. Uh, and I'm never sure about them in the United States because they seem to change or not change. But beyond not understanding them fully, I don't even agree with them. Because uh, in terms of the podcast, I don't think that I'm taking anything from anyone. Matter of fact, I'm promoting them. Uh, I know people who, because they heard a song on my podcast, got into a band or just rediscovered a band right. they hadn't thought of. And I think that's a fantastic free service. Um, and obviously the law 
probably doesn't agree with me, unfortunately. But for now, what my philosophy is, um, I'm doing nothing malicious. I know I'm doing nothing malicious. I would gladly testify in court saying that I'm not doing anything malicious. Uh, now, could I win? I don't know. And could I one day get in trouble? Yes, it's possible. But for now, I really don't care about the law. And um, the words pirate radio come to mind. Um, when I started this, and still today, I believe myself to be more related to a pirate radio uh, DJ than, not DJ, but host, than to uh, a podcast that needs permission to do things. And one thing that I find really alarming in podcasts, especially the ones coming out of the US, is this paranoia. Everybody thinks that they have to censor themselves before they get in trouble. Uh, people who have 10 listeners, 20 listeners, they're paranoid about playing uh, licensed music. And it goes back to this feeling that you're always being watched, and the minute you step out of line, you're going to get in trouble. Yeah. And it's so prevalent. Everybody thinks they're always being watched. That's why we're so self-conscious about what we wear, what yeah, we do. Yeah, maybe they are. I mean, <laughs> well, there's a big scare going on with the MPAA and the RIA getting after people. I mean, sure, they can't get everybody of them, but right. well, getting to podcasters is pretty easy right now. Yeah. I now, I will add simply that... Uh, that... Um, If it ever gets to the point uh, that... Um, I forgot what I was going to say because the waiter came over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to add that uh, if my show ever got this sudden boom in popularity, obviously I'd have to reconsider my position. Um, you know, you take Adam Curry and his show. I mean, he has some hundreds of thousands of, of listeners. But regardless of his philosophy, uh, I think he probably has some real threats. Um, so if I ever got a cease and desist... Well, I would have to seriously that consider. That might change the situation. Yeah. But I'm not going to get one for now. Yeah, so we have to be pirates again. Exactly. I, I totally yeah. agree. Yeah. And, I mean, this is the whole situation with, with music and licensing. It's it's all fucked up. And nobody really has a real answer to the problem right now. Yeah. And as long as it is this way, I can totally understand it. Now, there are a lot of artists. just ignore it. Right. I, I, I do. I just ignore it. Now, there are a lot of artists who will say, hey... That, that hurts me, that hurts my livelihood. And uh, it's a great argument, uh, but what I usually say to this is I think that the whole structure and the way we look at music and society has got to change. It is changing, but it's got to change. And one way it's got to change is that this is not stealing. And, uh, well, and, and of course the record label shouldn't make so much money. I don't think, you know, record labels talk about how much money they're losing every year. And when I look at that, I think to myself, you're not losing money, you're no longer making all that extra shit that you probably didn't deserve to make anyway. You know, and the, the this sort of economy has changed. The economy of, of scale for, for music has changed. And music companies are telling us that the way it used to be was the right way, and the way it is now is the wrong way. And I think the way it used to be was the wrong way, and now we may be on our way to the right way. Uh, and unfortunately that means for a lot of musicians, they can't live off it, or they can't make as much. Am I saying to a musician that I don't think you should make as much money as you used to, even if you're not very rich? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. You're not going to make as much as you used to. It's not fair. Uh, I wish there was something better. Maybe there will be, like Podsafe music. I mean, I, I, I have a very optimistic view on this because if I compare the overall situation of culture in general, today it's possible for so many people to live out of the cultural, uh, their creative work, which wasn't that possible yeah. 100 years ago yep. so in the end technology especially the internet is sort of accelerating this process and is opening up for more people more it's people. just a yeah. few companies and organizations are uh, yeah they're scared that they might lose this uh, window of opportunity where they were able to make a huge amount of money and uh, although none of the artists were really 
getting much of it. Yeah. I mean, and and this is something that has to change, and they have to accept it. But the problem is that their influence on policy and and politics in general is um, is so strong right now, yeah. and and they're really hurting the whole. Yeah, they're hurting the the world because it's not only extending to creative right; it's also to extending to freedom in general, especially yes, on the internet. Yeah. And they're introducing, and they make the politicians introduce more and more surveillance laws just in order to be able to yeah. catch forty-year-old kids who just do something. I mean, yeah. especially in podcasting, there are some. There's this teenage group. Was it called teen? podcasters.org oh yeah yeah very uh, lovely young people who just like do it and they throw all their music together and they're not thinking about it because they don't think they're doing something wrong and therefore I also think they don't because yeah. it's just they're promoting the music they love mm -hmm. and they are contribu contributing to the process of, of, of sharing and making the music well known to their friends mm -hmm. which is very good for the mu musician in general yeah yeah well, let's get back to, to podcasting uh, a, a bit, especially in combination with um, talking about political issues. Um, what do you think what the chances are for, for podcasting and um, yeah, making alternative voices heard? Obviously, the chances of making and establishing uh, podcasting as an alternative uh, place uh, are great. Are great because the, uh, the threshold for getting in is so low. Um, it's not non-existent. You still need to be able to uh, find your way around the computer and, and some audio work. Uh, uh, but it's getting easier and easier, which could be a great thing. So in terms of being able to hear more voices, being able to hear the citizen reporter, uh, which is a great uh, term that I love, um, I think, of course, there y it, it's great. The, the chances for alternative media in the future are great. Unfortunately, one and, and I fancy myself an expert on alternative press. It's the only thing I try to be an expert in. Uh, everything else, I'm just an amateur. One thing that is going to pass on to the to the internet people, the the podcasters, the bloggers, the alternative bloggers, that alternative media used to suffer from in the olden days and still do sometimes, is the money part and the the financially existing part. Um, in other words, I'm getting. I hope people can follow me on this old alternative newspapers who used to report very critically and very tough and, and never followed the, the government line and everybody, everything like was... The village voice like the Village Voice you mentioned? Like the Village Voice. Which was in trouble right now. You, you, you well, well, I say reporting it. Yeah, I say the Village Voice is in trouble from a quality standpoint, but where the Village Voice is not in trouble is from a business standpoint. Okay. Because they're so profitable. Um, but, but that's an exception because that is an example of something alternative that became popular or at least being alternative became so cool that they made a lot of money. Usually what used to happen to alternative papers um, in the UK and the United States, that's where I, I, I focused most of my research back in the day, is that you'd have great reporting uh, and you'd have it you know, pretty widely known, but what you didn't have was financial uh, power. So in other words, you couldn't keep the paper running because the bottom line was not about making money, it was about reporting, which is great, but unfortunately they never did very much in terms of keeping it financially viable. Take this into podcasting. The problem isn't as deep because it's much more expensive to run a newspaper like paper paper than, or even radio station than uh, a podcast. So it's much more affordable. But unfortunately, the people who are doing it, regular citizens, have to deal with regular jobs. And for some people, regular jobs really beat the stuffing out of them. And when they come home, 
th either they have families or they don't have time. So there's some people with some great expertise and some great abilities that can't use it because their day job is killing them. Right. <laughs> Which is why I, do, I don't think everybody can do it, but I do support the idea of these sort of podcasters who, who do their show, and especially those who do reporting, who will do it as their main job. Um, yeah, but I mean, there are al also, uh, there's also alternative media that, um, well, where it's their main job being alternative. Yes, yes. One thing that comes to my mind is uh, democracy now. Yes. Um, I think it's th even the it best ex example of really investigative uh, journalism. For those who don't know, uh, democracy now is the daily uh, one-hour news show. Mm-hmm. Um, with uh, famous and well-known journalist Amy Goodman up front mm -hmm. and well every day they are really reporting on, on, on international issues and yeah. whenever there's something coming up uh, on the big scale especially related to war they're usually the ones who bring the original source material the uncut stuff yeah. they have the the interviews that really go deep into uh, what we're actually talking about they're willing to take uh, a, a second look and, and presenting various angles. So this is high quality yeah, but information. Now, now you mentioned Democracy Now!, which is a fantastic, I mean, probably everybody's number one source, those of us who love alternative sources. Um, but they have a problem that I'm talking about, but it, it, they handle it well thus far, which is financial, keeping afloat. Because they work for a public radio station, they have to do fundraising. Uh, they have to have people send money. Uh, and so it's very hard. I mean, it's, uh, business is, is not easy either. Uh, and so it's hard to maintain these things in the long run. Okay, podcasting, at least now, it's not as expensive. But it still costs something, whether it be time or some money for maintenance and, and that sort of thing, web space. Um, it's still going to be an issue for some people in the long run. Um, you know, podcasting has costed me a lot of money. <laughs> I don't even want to count how much. Uh, but I consider it worth it. So, yeah. <laughs> but I do ask myself in the long run, what is going to happen? And the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> but well, uh, I'm, I'm mentioning democracy now because they have um, put their program on a video podcast, so I can yeah. subscribe. There's an audio podcast as well. Um, unfortunately, the servers are pretty slow. Hmm. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, this has to be fixed because it takes very long to download and it's very difficult to yeah. keep in sync if you're uh, subscribed to mu uh, much stuff. But this is widening the audience. I mean, I don't know, they're broadcasting on 20, 30 TV stations yeah, around the US. Yeah. Link TV. But that's, you know, it's not much. Uh, and the internet is a much broader audience and yeah. you can directly go to the people who are really interested and currently independent on where they are, when they want to listen to it, how they want to listen to it, and that's good. <laughs> so I see the opportunity, I don't know if this is going to work out in the end, but uh, at least I see the opportunity to sort of charge for receiving this uh, if there is some kind of added value. Hmm. We have been talking hmm. about this uh, model as well. So, <coughs> I don't know, but uh, I guess widening the audience is very important and mm -hmm. uh, podcasting can do a lot for this because it's yeah. easy to distribute and it's oh easy yeah. to subscribe as well. Yeah. So we are becoming all citizen reporters now. Citizen yes. journalism, that's the, the new term everybody is coining. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Newsvine, which uh, yeah. I think is an interesting project. I haven't looked too much into it, but uh, from what I understand is they are mixing traditional media and alternate media. Uh, in this case, it's bloggers. So they have one portal uh, opening up the world to people and 
pointing both to blocked content and to traditional AP media or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the, the revenue they uh, get by having ads posted goes to the bloggers as well, partly, right? Actually, I have uh, heard very limited stuff about that, and I don't notice the ads when I'm on the site right now. Um, but I, I have seen everything else you talked about, which is, yes, there's articles, and then the people who post the articles also post their own commentary, and the theory is that in the long term, they become like columnists that you go to read. Myself, I don't have any favorite person on Newsvine, nor do I recognize the names yeah. when I see them. I go there more as a sort of different, slightly different kind of uh, news aggregator to see what's up. But unfortunately for Newsvine, uh, and we'll see what happens, but you can, when you see an article and you think it deserves more attention, to keep it on the front page or near the front page, you can click a button that says, you know, seed this or vine this or whatever yeah and what this tells me is that great now we have a system that is sort of like populist news so anything that's about the macintosh <laughs> will be on the front all the time yeah it's like on dig yeah yeah, yeah. and this is right. unfortunate all these really cool tools that sort of point out in some ways our own collective one track mind unfortunately so anything that's prevalent that's kind of stupid a news story that perhaps sounds cool, you know, uh, Runaway Bride or whatever, There's all these stupid issues that CNN likes to cover, these things could make a comeback because people can see will seed them. Uh, but anyway, it's still a great tool. Yeah, but, but there's a... Um, I'm, I'm yeah, I, for I forgot about the details, but there's a, a, a site in, in Korea who was following oh the Oh My News. Oh My News, right. Yeah. And wasn't there one guy reporting on some kind of... on one issue and he became quite rich by it? I don't know about rich, but uh, or at least got some. Yeah, one of the all my news fame and mo and money at the same time just by providing this news over this portal. Um, well, I mean, it's been a immensely successful project. All my news, I read about it uh, quite often in the uh, the French Courrier International, mm -hmm. and um, and now one of the guys, somebody pointed this out to me the other day, said, "Oh, do you know there's another pod journalist." And I said, oh yeah, great. And I went to look, and it's a guy who works for Oh My News, who's doing his own podcast now. Uh, I don't know if he calls himself a, a pod journalist, but that was how it was presented to me. It looks more like he calls himself citizen journalist. Uh, but he's associated with Oh My News, which apparently in Korea is hugely, uh, well, just respected. And yeah, that's good news. Which, by the way, is regular people are their reporters. So... Podcasting has been very popular in the US last year. It really took off. Do you already have the op op opinion that it's capable of influencing the public opinion in some way or the other? Or we're not here yet? We're not there yet. Um, very, th you know, podcasting was very popular for what it was worth <laughs> last year. But the majority of regular media users, as I look around this room, I see some newspapers opened, I see a computer opened. But um, the majority of people aren't listening to podcasts yet. Um, the majority of people, if you're talking about a program like iTunes, which I don't think should have the monopoly on all this, right. but people have never clicked on that podcast option. They don't know what it does. Uh, so we need to get past this. Um, some people don't believe that there's anything interesting or there's anything that would interest them. Uh, that's unfortunate. Uh, we need to get past that. It's still far off from becoming a tradition. Blogging started around 98, 97. It's, it's arguable when it started. Only got into center stage 2003. Right. It's not going to take as long. Things have changed, but podcasting only started end of 2004, so we may have to wait a while. Um, 
and I've heard people who, s who say it's, it's going to be a three-year wait. Uh, I think that's what the people at Podshow said a long time ago. It's going to be a three-year wait. Yeah, but it's already, but it's already connecting the... <coughs> well, difficult to say that, but I think that way it's connecting the, the information elite. It's, it's connecting those who have been on discussion anyway and who know about the advantages of the Internet and, the and, 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 and looking at it as a necessary tool to uh, start this global dialogue. Mm -hmm. I think podcasting has already done a lot in this area mm -hmm. because it brings people I mean it brought us together yeah. sort of I don't yeah. know if this would have happened uh, just over the blog because mm -hmm. it's much more it's personal thing yeah, yeah. You're <laughs> much more attracted to, to voices and much more attracted to uh, individuals yeah and uh, the, the the option of actually being able to discuss something by speaking well I yeah. can send you audio comments have you ever tried did you ever receive audio comments? Have you ever tried putting them in? I don't know. Yeah, I have that, that phone number that I rarely give out. Uh, I just forget to. I used to receive the occasional audio comment. Uh, honestly, I probably received one per month. Um, I don't know why that is. I think one of the reasons is I don't insist on having it. Uh, I don't insist on people calling. It's a number in the U.S. My listeners are pretty divided, although mostly in the U.S. Um, I don't know. You know, what is it about? And that, as a podcaster, I often wonder... People are listening. I can see the numbers, but what kind of listeners are they? Are they listening to every little detail? Are they completely not listening? It's just background. Did they once like my show and now it's sort of just a tradition, but they don't pay much attention? It's really hard to tell, uh, and it can make somebody go crazy if you think about it too much. Um, so, is one of the reasons I don't get voicemail because it's not the kind of show where people think they need to say anything. They're yeah. passive listeners. I don't know. Um, so no, I, I don't get the audio responses that probably uh, would be more fun. Um, but that kind of goes back to the whole, we're not quite there yet. Okay, you can pick up a phone and leave a message, but it's an American number. So, okay, maybe, maybe that's not a problem. But it, it needs to get easier <laughs> Yes. outside of the telephone. I mean, with the computer to just record a little message and send it. It needs to get easier. Skype could be key in all this. Voice over IP could be something that makes this all much easier. Yeah, you're doing most of the interviews with Skype, right? Yeah, all my interviews that are not uh, on location <laughs> are through Skype. So you have been doing some video podcasts as well. Yeah. Which I consider to be much more personal than uh, the audio show. Yeah. What do you think is the direction uh, oh, this I, I is think heading? Ultimately, the, the video uh, blogs that I do will go the way of the <laughs> what I call the visual communique. And they will be similar to what I do in the podcast, only not, not repeating a topic, using much more with visual aids, with graphs, with maps, because I like maps and graphs so much, and maybe the occasional uh, video clip. And yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll start to do a more audio communique show. What kind of gets in the way is my own desire to experiment with video, so that's where the personal stuff comes in, to make nice things, to make sort of sentimental uh, shows about certain people or family members. So that, that's kind of getting in the way. Um, <laughs> I also, I'm using iMovie, I don't like iMovie so much, I keep running into new problems, and that final cut, I'm still not used to it, I've messed with it, and I just feel like it, it, it sucks up so much resources and, you know, rendering for one hour, it's like, so I, I don't feel like I'm there yet in terms of being uh, pro prolific, proficient, proficient in um, video editing. Yeah, it's a much it's much more work than just doing the audio. I mean, I, I found that even doing audio can take up so much time because you have to check yeah. what you did and listen to it yep. probably twice. And especially if you're keen to uh, provide extensive show notes, um, 
which I think is very important in uh, order to provide uh, listeners the the option to to get into these topics fast just by yeah. consulting a web page that belongs to the show. Yeah. So where is it all heading? Where is the the podcasting business all heading? I think it's growing. What do you think? Uh, of course, yes, it's definitely growing. Uh, I mean, this year, what you're seeing is all the mainstream sources, whether they understand it fully or not, are putting themselves into it. Um, I was just thinking, I watched this show, you know, Lost. Uh, yeah, the Lost TV has, the, it's on ABC Networks, and now they put out a podcast before the show comes out where the writers talk. And normally I would think, oh, it's a television network's podcast, it's going to be terrible. But the writers are actually really funny. So I listen to the show. I actually listen to the Lost podcast. I admit it. And okay. I really enjoy it. Is it audio it. or is it video? It's uh, audio. It's audio, okay. And it's a great compliment to the show. If you're a fan of the show, and I am, I love hearing the way they, they came up with a certain episode, what they were doing when they wrote it. I like hearing the way they think. It makes me almost interested in, te in writing for television um, because suddenly I understand it from behind the scenes. And generally speaking, they're really sarcastic and funny, and I enjoy watching it. So this, this makes me think, wow... Um, you know, even corporate or, or sort of mass market podcasting can be appealing. So, I mean, this is a year where you'll, obviously we're going to see all the big players come in finally, even though their their management probably doesn't get what they're doing. <laughs> you know, you'll have one of these situations where the manager calls in his IT guy and says, hey, do, do one of those podcasts. We need to get involved in that. And then the manager will go, I don't know what it is, but we need to get it because they're doing it and everybody else is doing it and the kids are doing it. <laughs> So this is one, it's an important step. Uh, it's kind of like podcasting goes mainstream. It doesn't mean that we're all going to go mainstream. It just means that it's going to become more, look, the word is going to become more normal. Just like blogs have become a normal word. Right. They don't scare people anymore. Yeah. The word needs to become more normal. Um, so It's already the word of the year, isn't it? It was. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they were a little year. too quick on that, I think. They were I think as well. I was surprised uh, that they were ahead. Yeah. M m maybe it's... Well, the Britons got it. I mean, BBC got it as well. Yeah, they're really into that stuff. Yeah, so that's important. So you, I would consider your um, your podcast being a primary source for political topics for me, uh, at least. Cool. Uh, is there any other? W but is there any other podcast that where you get information from in a political sense as well, apart from the blogs? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Which you already you mention? mentioned democracy now, so let's get that out of the way. Okay. Yeah democracynow.org now that, that's easy that's too easy <laughs> uh, one that I listen to and it can get boring but it's got the best uh, host it's impressive that he even hosts it um, and it's actually a radio show turned podcast that's interesting you know I love the medium of podcasting but a lot of my favorites are old radio programs okay and that's um, um, Media Matters uh, with Robert McChesney Robert McChesney was a guy who in my master's degree doing all this research on alternative press democracy and press he was the guy who wrote every book almost and and I was so excited when I found that he has a podcast and it's actually his public radio program in w on WIL but they only also have a video podcast I don't know if they're producing video I've heard of a media matters where they 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 um the the publishing TV clips I, I think, I wha think. Wha what's going on is someone told me this there's a, a video collective called Media Matters and then there's this public radio program called Media Matters and they're not connected ah, okay, the one so I listen to is Media Matters with Bob McChesney okay uh, so I got that wrong um, so that's one and, and I mean he, this week he had Howard Zinn I like hearing Howard Zinn but he always has the coolest guests um, the other things that I listen to I used to try and listen to The, the Nation I'm still subscribed uh, Radio Nation but they've changed the format uh, it used to be a writer for The Nation who was running the show 
and I thought he was great, Mark Singer. Now they've moved it, and it's Laura Flanders on uh, Air America, and I don't like it. As a matter of fact, I don't like the station Air America Radio very much at all. I think it's really like right-wing radio turned left. <laughs> right. It's still like everything is Republicans bad, the Democrats good, and I find it really annoying. It's like copying what the Re it's like so many Democrats want to copy what the Republicans do so that they'll be successful, and I just think this is the wrong approach. You don't just copy. You you have to sort of learn lessons and and do just a better job of reporting and being honest. Anyway, other podcasts that I consult for information. Well, in in the French world, I I, I like um, a show called uh, La Bas Si Je Suis, which is actually from French Public Radio, and um, it it I think it means because uh, sometimes I'm wrong with my French, you know. Um, down there, if I'm there, down on the street, basically, you know, la basse j'y suis, if I'm there. And it's, it involves, this, of course, this regular guy who hosts a show about uh, things going on in France, but it's also um, people can call in and leave voicemail messages from wherever they are. Okay. So during the demonstrations recently, there are tons of people calling in about what's going on. It was very cool. It was like citizen uh, reporting. So that's one that I consult pretty regularly. Um, the I, I, Portuguese Public Radio puts out some podcasts that I, I listen to regularly, sometimes interviews, and one is a special on European Union. It's very good. Um, so I listen to those once a week. Um, th there's some in video that I find very useful. Uh, the Willing Warrior, he's quite good. Uh, Brad, he's been on my show when we talked about Chile. Um, any other political ones? I do watch the UNICEF TV, which is kind of boring, but uh, it reminds me where there are probably issues that deserve more attention. And then there's Madge. I think Madge is also a political yeah. podcast. Yeah. Madge doesn't always drive me to a new issue, but Madge focuses on issues that it doesn't have to be new, but it still deserves, Attention. as she always says, repetition. You know, we're not going to stop talking about it because you, you're tired. And that's what I like about Madge when she used to always yeah, say, Yeah, like don't forget. Repetition. Don't forget. Repetition. And it's true. We can't. Can't forget. So, yeah, definitely Madge. Um, I mean, there's so many more, but I always forget. Public okay, Radio, 2600.com. Uh, ah, of course, off the hook. Yeah, off oh. the hook and off the wall, I listen to regularly. And I always have since I was like 12. That's how I kind of knew about uh, Chaos Communications. Of, or kind of, I know. About the Chaos Computer Club and, uh, and the Congress, you mean? Yeah, okay. yeah. Mm. and occasionally, uh, I think, I, for all I know, I've listened to you being interviewed and I just didn't remember. Um, but occasionally they're just interviews with... Uh, On off the hook. Yeah, well, that's a long time ago, I guess. It's all possible. I just don't yeah. remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think there's a few other programs from my old New York Public Radio WBAI that I still listen to that are now putting out podcasts. And if, oh yeah, and on the media. Oh, they do. Oh, okay. Yeah, on the media from Public Radio International is great. Oh, and Open Source. Uh, with open uh, Source Radio. Christopher Leiden, love it. Radio Open yeah. Source. org. He's a he's a, he's been around uh, forever. Forever, right? Yeah. Yeah, but but this this whole the way he does his show, and in fact, anybody who wants to say, you know, Bicycle Mark copies a lot of style from uh, open source, absolutely true. The way I present the program, I can hear Christopher Leiden in my head, um, and I admit it and give him full credit. I talk to the producer sometimes, and uh, I always am on the border of kissing his ass and uh, <laughs> just generally chatting. Um, but I really love that show, and they use bloggers pretty regularly, although they use a lot of A-list a bloggers, and they really are they're pretty international too. Um, I, I go there and I, I their blog decides on topics so they'll say like what shows should we do for July and people write in I'm one of those people that writes in and uh, it's a great system 
you know, and if they're not sure about a show, they'll put, make a posting saying, we're thinking of a show on this, what do you think? And sometimes it won't happen. People will say, no, it's too confusing. Or, eh. And uh, we write in the questions. I send in questions all the time. I love it. I mean, if there's any show that I would ever work for, I am working for, obviously, it's a radio open source, uh, .org. Okay, that's a very, very long and good list of recommendations. I will make <laughs> sure it's uh, in our show notes okay. this time. So I think we sort of come uh, to an end I interview. Is there anything you want to add that I forgot asking about that might be worth inserting here? No, I mean, the only thing I, I, w I would like to say in general about podcasting and video blogs is... What I think what we all really look forward to and we need more of is just listeners. Uh, you know, a lot of people want to produce, want to produce, and it seems like in podcasting we're only hearing from people who have their own shows as well. And I, w I think we all love to just hear from someone who just listens. And it's very exciting to know that. You don't always have to be producing. You could just be right. a listener, and it's great. I mean, it's a very valuable thing to be a person who listens. You don't have to be a podcaster. Yeah, I think it's true that everybody, every podcaster loves getting feedback yeah oh yeah every email helps and it's 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 a very very important thing and keeping things running yeah because once you once you know that somebody is actually listening and everybody cares cares about what what you uh, what you do uh, inspired, it's, it's yeah. the best inspiration and motivation you can get yep yeah that's a good point to end this interview mark thank you very much <laughs> been a wonderful uh, weekend here in Amsterdam. Yeah. We've been on the boat. We've seen it all. That's true. Yeah. And and uh, almost recovered. <laughs> almost recovered from Queen's Day that yeah. was going on this weekend. Yeah. So I can only say uh, thank you again and um, goodbye to our listeners. See you back on the next episode. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Tim. On Carl's Radio. Goodbye. Thank you.